This week, my guests are Paul Avis from Canada Life and David Sherman from LifeWorks. We talk about how mental health and well-being affect employee productivity and presenteeism and what employers can do to help their people. Welcome to episode 210 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I'd just like to take a moment to thank you so much for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. There's been a lot of talk about mental health recently, and it's all good stuff. And recently we also saw Mental Health Awareness Week. So it's really apt that this week's podcast is dedicated to looking at the issues of mental health and well-being in the workplace. This is a great interview with Paul Avis and David Sherman, and most of you will recognise Paul. He's been on the podcast many, many times, and Paul knows me and my obsession with simplicity and my aversion to management speak, so we did have a laugh after the recording of the podcast when he realised that he'd used words like paradigm shift in the narrative. So, You might hear me stifle a chuckle when I hear those words. So let's get straight into that interview with Paul and David right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Paul, David, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast again. Hello. Hello. Paul, I know that you've been on the Marketing and Finance Podcast several times. In fact, uh, it's remiss of me. I didn't go back and look through the archive and count up exactly how many times you've been on the show, but I'm guessing this is appearance at least number five, possibly number six. And of course, you are Mr. Stats Supremo. In fact, I think you call yourself Stato these days. Isn't that right? It's an undeserved nickname, uh, Roger. But um, yeah, I I do like to evidence everything I say wherever I can possibly find a source to evidence it. Fantastic. And Paul, you are Marketing Director at Canada Life Group Insurance. With you today is David Sherman, who is a LifeWorks consultant, and we're going to talk about productivity. But before we get into that, can each of you just take a few moments to introduce yourselves, tell tell me a little bit about what you do and where you're going and what your ambitions are and what makes you tick? Fire away, Paul, first. So I'm the Marketing Director for Canada Life Group Insurance. That means I'm responsible for all the products and communications that we put out and also working very closely with our support services providers, one of which is LifeWorks, but we also have second medical opinions, personal nurse advisors and a raft of other benefits. So wherever possible, where I spot a topic that I think is really important for an advisor, an employer or an employee to know about. I like to really do some research and understand the topic and then share it and that's why I keep coming back to the Empath podcast, Roger, because I know that this is a great vehicle for people to gain insights into what the reality of working in the employee benefits and group risk space is. So thank you once again for having me on. Not a problem. And David, tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, uh, my name is David Sherman. I've worked for LifeWorks for over 10 years now. Um, my role at the organisation is to work with some of the UK's leading organisations around health and well-being in the workplace and to advise them on different services and solutions they can put in place that's going to have a, a positive impact and return on investment for 
the organisation, but also um, you know the impacts it's going to have on their employees and their day-to-day lives. So, what makes me tick in, in kind of the workplace? I'd definitely say mental health in the workplace is something that I'm still massively interested in. I think the last two to three years has been great for mental health in general and people talking about it much more openly and um, we're definitely seeing the benefits of that in terms of the workplace as well. Yeah, mental health is coming up a lot at the moment for all sorts of really good reasons. Lots of articles in the in the trade press about it, but it's also a topic that's being covered quite extensively at a lot of industry conferences these days. I get that completely and, and that's one of the areas um, that has a, a a significant impact on productivity because mental health and mental illness, whilst completely different things, they inevitably um, coalesce around people's ability to do their jobs. And, and so mental health, we welcome all of the dialogue and discussion on the topic because it is pivotal to supporting the overall health and well-being of the UK workforce. So Paul, let's start by exploring a little bit of the background on the subject of productivity. Um, I think a lot of people probably have their own definition in their own minds as to what productivity actually means. So can you set the scene for the conversation? Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Roger, because it is a, a complex topic, but obviously a very topical one. So I always start from the point of what keeps employers up at night. And if you look at the traditional way of talking about benefits. It's always been about staff attraction and retention, and and that's the way that that we've always positioned ourselves. But I actually think that talking about productivity now is becoming more relevant and more important. With current trends such as health and well-being being high on the corporate agenda and mental health becoming far more uh, open and and people discussing and being more interested in the topic, I think productivity is, is kind of encapsulating much of what is being discussed. But If we just pause and and think about this at the UK level, um, it's as simple as this. For every four days a German or French worker works, the UK worker has to work for five days. And if you you just think about what that means, that's costing UK families 9,000 a year per household in in potential income. And to put that in context, obviously, when we had the financial crisis quarter four 2007, in the last 11 years, we've only grown by 2% in terms of productivity and versus wage inflation which we all know has not been great and we'll talk about that later in the podcast um, you you can see that a 2% growth in 11 years shows how badly the UK is performing on productivity so then you pause and you think okay what are the causes of of low productivity and and one of the big causes that that is now becoming much more vocalized and much more uh, proliferate in terms of the discussions about how we remedy it is presenteeism in 2010, the CIPD found that 26% of organizations believe presenteeism was a real issue, but by 2018, that was 86%. And of course, we have seen the Stevenson Pharma report, which cites um, presenteeism at 17 to 26 billion a year, which is actually a, a, a lot more than the 8 billion cost of absenteeism. So whilst organizations have done really well on absenteeism, what they're not able to do is talk about presenteeism and and that obviously causes a real issue now you asked me to encapsulate what productivity is about and the best way i can do that was a train journey i had uh, with an hr director of a 500 employee organization it was a a call center service center predominantly young workforce And, and this was kind of the conversation we had most of the people that she employed had no family networks some were sofa surfing, others were self-harming or living vicariously through social media, and we all know no one puts bad stuff on social media. 
Some were dependent on drugs and alcohol. Some were turning up to work or not turning up to work. Some shouldn't have been there and were sent home. And many of them had virtually no money at the end of the week uh, or, or no money to live or, or, or to have any fun with, with working so hard. So what, what she said was, my, my HR team, my business partners are out there almost doing social engineering i trying to get people to the workplace when they're working to try and get them engaged and to try and help them overcome the problems that they've got. And they had an employee assistance program and they used it massively to try and support those initiatives within the business. But at the same time, she said she was struggling to get investment from her FD into more workplace health and wellbeing initiatives. And, and that's the challenge because productivity and presenteeism are sometimes seen as nebulous i.e. it's hard to evidence ROI. It's important that a, a cultural shift, a paradigm shift in the way that we view investments in health, well-being, and the support that we provide to employees, it seems as a positive rather than as a, a cost to a business. Just be clear, presenteeism, does that mean people are actually in the office but maybe just not doing work? Is that what you're saying that that means, as opposed to absenteeism, which is that they're away from the office? It, David's going to cover off some of the, this detail, but in effect, just take a scenario. An employee has debts. Yeah. They come to work, having spent probably a fortune on a bus or a train, having spent a fortune on rent. They come to work, and yes, they are at work. They're there in body, but not necessarily in mind. And the reason is, suddenly the phone goes, and it's a debt collection agent saying, we are now going to come to your house and repossess, you need to get home. How can that person possibly be focused 100% on their job that day when there's so many other issues in their life that they have to face? And, and that's, that's one live example of, of presenteeism, being there embodied but not necessarily fully committed to the workplace because other things are going on. And David, as a LifeWorks consultant, obviously you're working with businesses and you're seeing examples of this day in, day out. Give me a snapshot of what you're seeing from the companies that you're working with at the moment. This can't be a coincidence anymore with what we're seeing, not just with the companies we're working for, working with, um, but also the kind of statistics that, that, that you see um, from companies or charities like Mind, uh, sort of one in one in six people in the workplace suffering with a stress condition, which is impacting their levels of productivity on a daily basis. Time to change the government initiative around mental health in, in, in the UK, one in four people suffering from a mental health condition. And then from our own stats, um, from, from LifeWorks, from the clients we work with, the employees that we now support, 20% of all of the employees that we speak to saying that their issue is causing an impact on productivity in the workplace. And when you look at all these stats and combine them together, it is pretty evident to say to most organizations that we go in and speak to that effectively 20% of your workforce are no longer productive, whether that's inside of the workplace or outside of the workplace. And that is a huge chunk of your population um, as an employer that are, are not contributing to the workplace or feel unsupported, um, which is quite worrying for me um, in terms of, you know, these people that, that feel like they can't come to work and they can't focus because of things that might be impacting them either inside or outside of the workplace as well. So, as I said, I think it's moved away from kind of coincidence status to this is a fact now, this is the size of the problem and this is what needs addressing. There's obviously been massive changes to the mental health of the nation, David, so maybe just 
just dig a little bit deeper into that and, and give me some examples as to the impacts this is actually having on productivity in the workplace? From the employees that we speak to, um, you know, even when you're talking about a mental health issue, you know, that might be the presenting issue. But once you start to scratch the surface and look at secondary issues or, you know, actually what is the main issue that's kind of rearing its head, it might be something completely different and something we're seeing that 50% pretty much of all of our emotional counseling cases that come into LifeWorks will have some level of financial stress attached to that. So we are seeing that financial well-being is now kind of that biggest area of the holistic well-being that's on the growth. So when we talk about holistic well-being, we look at the mental, the physical, the financial well-being and also the kind of the social connectivity, workplace wellness as well. But financial well-being is, is absolutely huge and you know it's it's no longer just an educational piece for us. It's actually how can we make how can we support employers to support their employees with making their money go further? We know that giving them, you know, giving an employee population a pay rise every single year just, just can't happen for some organisations. It can cost them millions and millions of pounds. So what benefits can be put in place and can be provided to employees to, to make their money go further, to take some of the pressure off the day-to-day cost? of living and that's where some of our services that that we introduce like financial savings discounts per directly to the employees can save can save employees up to kind of two thousand pounds a year on average so it's quite a, a benefit that can have a real impact on employees lives uh, on a more of a day-to-day level as well and, and paul as an insurer how big is this issue that david describes well part of our job is to understand workforce demographics and, and yes we are there to basically pay group income protection across illness and life claims that that's our core job but when we're commissioning a support service we commission it on the basis that it will have relevance and importance to the organization that is buying our insurance product so mm-hmm. The product is not just a financial benefit uh, when the worst happens, but it actually can support the workforce da- dynamics and demographics. So the, the big figures here, so the Joseph Browntree Foundation estimates that one in eight employees are working but living in poverty, and 60% of households in poverty include someone who is working. Um, in late 2017, KPMG said in actual fact it's worse than that. It's one in five, one in five people, 21%, are still earning below the uh, real living wage, meaning around about five and a half million employees have struggled to get um, out of in-work poverty. And you see this quite a lot. The, the UN came in late uh, November 2018, so more recently, and said, you know, the UK poverty position is very complex and multifaceted. So clearly everyone is worried about the financial health of the working population and and how fundamentally they survive on a day-to-day basis. Employers are responding to these challenges and and, uh, as our service providers, and there are service providers out there that do financial education, um, some advisors do, there are service providers out there that that offer uh, kind of work loans, but the top elements that that employers are looking to include uh, money management and budgeting tools, financial health assessments, around about two-thirds of employers that have gone down this route do that, retirement estimate tools or calculators, again, uh, 63%, and financial literacy and skills education, around 60%. So employers are beginning to address this issue. But as part of that, uh, I referenced the younger workforce in my uh, discussion about the train journey. I think that it doesn't matter what age or stage of life you are, I think that all segments of the workforce do have some form of financial challenge. Paul, you obviously spoke to that lady on the train and, and the conversation you had was mainly about the younger generation. Are these issues 
common across all generations. I don't want to get into Generation X and Generation Y and Millennials and Baby Boomers, but are you seeing this affecting the whole workforce, David? I suppose what we're seeing from, from LifeWorks and the employees that we speak to is that different generations will have different struggles and different things that they're facing on. Paul's talked about kind of the millennials um, and talks about things like financial, and that's very much the same that we're seeing, kind of financial education, you know, looking to buy their first home. And, and, and most millennials now are having to rent because first-time yeah. buyers, it's just it's just crazy for those guys, unfortunately. I mean, the one thing that, that, that we're really seeing and, and one of the areas of the service um, that we provide um, which has seen a real increase um, is around our child care and elder care support services. So we know that there's a, a sandwich generation in the workforce that are not just looking after kind of their, their their children, but they're also kind of looking after elderly relatives as well and having that pressure on them as well. So mm-hmm. they're kind of being hit from from both sides on that. So, you know, putting services which are less crisis intervention tools in place to more work-life support services such as you know being able to help employees find suitable child care help should they need that suitable elder care help if they're looking for that you know what are their rights if they are a carer what are they entitled to what support should they be getting from local services you know these are the types of things that we can really help to drive in the workplace communicate support employees with with and it's not just taking the weight off the employee's shoulders around providing those services it's actually the work time it saves them because most of these types of services and things that employees will be you know having to look for and and will eat into the time when they're at work because you know most childcare providers are only open nine till five or nine till six and that's exactly when most people are in the workplace so again if we can start to provide these services for the employees we can keep their the employees happy engaged and, and focus on the work when they're in the workplace and to put that in context roger um i mentioned that you know they're kind of five to eight million people are working in work poverty the sandwich generation now numbers approximately 7.6 million people and um on average they're spending four thousand pounds a year on looking after mum dad or son and daughter so so again it, the, the financial issue is not just an age-based thing. It, it's actually whatever stage of your, your life you're at. And, of course, our research shows that, in actual fact, this is not going to get any better. Um, we found that 23 million workers, 72%, so they're going to have to work past state pension age because they don't have enough in savings um, or they don't, um, they don't get enough return on their, their, uh, their, their um, investments. So that means that, you know, 40, around 50% of people will be older than 70 before they retire. So that's quite scary. Um, and, and organizations need to not only address the intergenerational fairness of the younger workforce, but look at what they're doing to support the aging workforce, because those people will still have parents who are 90 and 95. They will have children, in effect, who may be 45 and 50. So you begin to think, well, have those people got on the housing ladder? Are they still in rented accommodation? Are they waiting for inheritances to pay off debts? And it's suddenly the whole the whole support for that four generations in a workforce has to be looked at as a, a kind of different topic. Yeah, and you mentioned before, David, that 
what you do is you, you've got various different packages. You've, you've got a package which can ultimately save somebody up to £2,000 a year. So that's obviously good. You obviously do a lot of educational work to help employers to make the situation better for their workers. My next question was going to be, well, what can employers do to fix this? But also at the back of my mind is, you know, you said they can't afford to increase salaries that often because it'll cost them millions and millions of pounds but presumably putting in processes and and changing the culture of the organizations to to try and eliminate some of this problems must be a fairly massive investment as well so so how do they go about this um i, I think it is it has to be a massive investment it has to be taken seriously it's no longer just a a duty of care to the employees that we have to put these types of benefits and services in place anymore there is a huge underlying return on investment that if done well, if communicated well, that workplace well-being services and, and strategies, you know, can save organizations millions. It can, I mean, our own service, you know, through our own research and our recent workplace wellness survey, you know, we know by putting LifeWorks in place in the organizations we work with that for every pound an, em- an employer spends on our service, they are receiving back six pounds. So there's a six to one return on investment already. Uh, and that's just from the kind of the sample of employees, um, you know, that, that we've been working with. So look, it, rather than just talking about LifeWorks, obviously I would like to mention um, that the Employee Assistance Programme Association or, or EPA, as, it, as it's better known, has their own return on investment tool for services such as LifeWorks and other Employee Assistance Programme providers. So again, organizations, employers can go onto the EPA website, input their details and kind of look at things like return on investment and the impact that wellbeing services can have in their workplace. But I can only draw on the kind of um, the con- conclusions I've seen from LifeWorks over the last 10 years and what we're seeing recently from our own data. So we know that employees that go forward to have you know, face-to-face counselling for their issue, have a 92% improvement rate through the counselling that's being offered for them, whether that's some improvement, major improvement, or in a lot of cases, that's the problem being completely resolved. But kind of from our our recent workplace wellness survey um, that LifeWorks has has conducted, uh, and this is from um, a sample of 30,000 plus employees who have actually been through our service as well. So it's quite a large sample of employees that we've taken this from. We've seen that problems with workplace presenteeism um, have reduced by 30%, that problems with life satisfaction have reduced by 20%, problems with work absence have reduced by 20%, problems with work engagement levels have reduced by 10%, and then problems with workplace distress as well have reduced by 10% as well. So we know that if we can move it away from a crisis intervention tool to more of a proactive solution that is pushed and promoted by the employer and we can get to the employees early early enough, that we're going to have positive impacts and that is going to filter down to, you know, what the employer, I don't want to say probably cares about most, but it's it's the bottom line of how much the organisation is making. Yeah, and, and Paul, how do you fit into all of this with the group protection insurance that you offer? You're obviously working with David and, and LifeWorks, are you actually offering David's services as part of your product proposition now? Yeah, exactly. And, and I go back to my previous comment, when we commission a support service provider, it's because of the relevance 
and our perceived belief that it will have a tangible benefit to those that we insure, not because they're becoming claimants, but they can use it on a daily basis and because they can also, uh, you know, kind of enjoy the benefits of group risk without being a claimant. So that, that's really important to us. So I, th I do think that the comment about the massive investment, though, is partially illusory. And the reason I say that is because it is free for the employee to use and it is included within the premium the employer pays. So what we've done is we've taken our economies of scale. The size of Canada Life is around about 2.93 million employees we cover, and we found the best suppliers we can find, and we've leveraged that to get you a quality service at no additional cost. So there isn't a massive investment. What we're really after is engagement with these services so that should the worst happen, yes, you need a second medical opinion or you need a personal nurse advisor. However, day-to-day, -day, you can use these services to engage with, with, with your workforce and enable them, as David suggested, to become more productive, engaged, to have less presenteeism, so the list goes on. But we're not, much of this stuff is free, and if you stop and think about it, you know, what about the person who is sick? What about the person who needs to get back to work? We can offer early intervention services where uh, a day one absence service for complex, subjective illnesses, conditions such as mental health, stress, back pain, we can support those as well. That's part of the insurance product that we embrace. But in effect, by helping people back to work, you're immediately saving up to £30,000 of recruitment. 95% of those people who use early intervention do not become claimants. They have an average duration of five to seven weeks. Conversely, without early intervention services, many employers just leave people who are sick, specifically with mental health and stress, to stew at home. So let us take the strain off you. So again, I go back to, you don't have to make a massive investment in this area. You just have to look at what you've got available to you today, and that will in effect be enough to start re uh, remedying some of the productivity issues. And the more you work with insurers and advisors in this space to understand the depth and breadth of these propositions, the more you think they're amazing. So we, we, we and that's both LifeWorks and ourselves, want these services used and engaged with, because we believe they do have tangible benefits and differences on a daily basis to people's lives. And obviously it's the advisors, Paul, that are recommending Canada Life Group Insurance and other group protection providers. What's their role in all of this? Do they need to be educating their clients more? Do they need to play a role in educating employers as to the benefits of these schemes? A hundred percent is the responsibility of the advisor, not just to look at the price and the terms and conditions of a contract, but the value and importance and relevance of the support services. And also, um, they would reference the, you know, some employers struggle to do pay rises. We provide a pound value for our support services. So on group crystallance, it's £205 per employee, 185 for group um, income protection. So already, by putting a pound value on it, advisors can say, well, that's your fact. Okay, you can only do a 1% or 2% pay rise this year, but here is something additional you can communicate to your employees on total reward statements or just literally put it out there, they exist. Mm -hmm. so, so the advisors are pivotal, there's no question about that. But the best advisors are already heading down this, this route. Um, people like Willis Towers Watson and Barnett Waddingham, they are actively serving their um, organizations to find out the impact of presenteeism and to find out how to make their organizations more productive. So for advisors, yes, attraction retention is the traditional way of talking about benefits. But if advisors aren't talking about productivity too, they should note those people who are because that is the way that the future of our industry will evolve into being more business support services than benefits brokers. And that's a really pivotal change. 
David and Paul, this has been a really interesting discussion this morning. I've certainly learned a lot more about productivity than I knew before. And, and it's such a massive, massive in- issue. Not It's a societal issue, isn't it, really? And it's an issue that is being addressed by the products that you offer through LifeWorks and through um, Canada Life Group Insurance. So just let's finish off by giving me your final thoughts, final tips on how we go forward with this. So my, my first thought is that as an organisation, you need to understand your demographics and the challenges that they face. So you can have four generations in a single organization, all of whom got different challenges. So as an organization, as an employer at HRD, FD, if you begin to look and understand what people are facing, you can make significant changes, often at low cost or no cost. But let's not make this overcomplicated. I really liked something I saw on a survey in 2018, which found that 97% of employees thought a happy workforce is a productive workforce and 93% say happiness is a good proxy for well-being. So if you don't have a happy, engaged workforce, you don't have a productive one. So I think my, my, rather than all the detail, think about that. What would make my workforce happy? Because it's not just salary, it's working conditions, it's understanding their needs and providing them with relevant updates to how they can live their lives on a more productive, engaged way. And David? Um, I, th- I think my final sort of thought would would be um, that these services, you know, although we talk about health and well-being and productivity in the workplace, you know, these services can save lives. Uh, would be my final thought. I, I mean, I know from my, our own service um, that the work that our counsellors do with employees, you know, really can you know, support someone, bring them back from, from very dark places. So, you know, one of the things that we, we do in LifeWorks is, you know, we're very, when we do get feedback, so it's not normally a service, you know, employee assistance program, it's not normally a service you get feedback from employees. But when we do, we take it very seriously. And if you go into the app store, it's in the public domain, and, and you type in LifeWorks and you look up our app, there is a, a couple of paragraphs on there from an employee um, who works for uh, the mobile phone company 3 who said without the support of LifeWorks he wouldn't be here today. And we know that some of the other services that Canada Life offer such as the second medical opinion um, that they can get through that again these can save people's lives. So you know that that's the big thing that, that I would like to say that it's not just about improving things like productivity and present team and it's also that kind of when you put it into context like that it's, it really brings it home I think uh, for me. Fantastic. Guys, it's been a really interesting conversation this morning, so thank you for your time. Before we go, I'm sure there's people listening to the show who want to get in touch with you and talk about this some more. So, Paul, David, tell me the best way that people should get in touch with you. Obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, um, but probably the best way if people have got uh, any interest in the area of productivity, presenteeism, um, and how we believe we can help, um, is to email me at paul.avis at canadalife.co.uk. I'll send you over more than you've ever wanted on this topic because it is genuinely a passion of mine. And David? Uh, again, like Paul, I'm, I am on LinkedIn if people want to reach out to me that way. Um, I won't read out my email address because it's, it's just it's quite long, but um, I think the best way to contact LifeWorks in general, if you're interested in what we do in the wellbeing space, is, is just to go to lifeworks.co.uk. Fantastic. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Very interesting chat. As always, let me wish you every success for the future. I know we'll meet up at some industry event in the the near future. And Paul, I'm looking forward to appearance number seven. Thank you, Roger. Thanks, Roger. 
Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.